Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of One Vision. The three of us are back together with Brad, Arun, and myself, Theo. And today we're going to talk about equality. But first, before we start, let's talk about privilege because it has a lot to do with what we see today in a society, it has a lot to do with um, recent chatters that you would might or might not have seen on social media, on our posts, on the articles we write. What is privilege? Privilege is a special right. It is an advantage, something that is granted or available to just a particular person or group. The fact that the three of us can be here and talk to you guys is by itself a privilege. The fact that we have internet access stable enough for us to do a podcast, that is a privilege knowing that millions of school children don't have access to broadband internet to even continue their school this year. The fact that the three of us can afford the time to be here recording this is in itself a privilege, knowing that a lot of essential workers are out there working. The fact that the three of us can afford the time and the effort to be here to record an episode, which also take resources, is also a privilege in by itself. And why are we talking about privilege? We're, we're saying it because we're reading a lot of recent reports that got us a little bit dumbfounded. We thought we we're 2020, but yet in the world of startups, according to a particular insight report that, which by the way, I'll make a disclaimer, it is very well written with very good data. In fact, it says the global FinTech founder community is still dominated by men and women making up just 7% of the total pool. Now, again, I thought with 2020, I thought we are past the fact that there are not enough women, female founders in there. I thought we are past the time that we're gonna argue. Why is it that we need more women? But I guess we're not quite there yet. After all, it is 2020 and the year of surprises. A lot of these posts have prompted Arun to write a very personal and I'll say thoughtful article Erin, you care to share with us what prompted you to write that? Sure. I mean, um, it was a, it was a, um, uh, I think it was probably you who actually instigated me to write, or your 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 uh, your comments on certain posts that instigated me to write um, that post. Um, but personally, I've always felt that uh, we all have grown up with uh, several biases, be it from a from a discrimination personal discrimination perspective or a, an elitist angle or your investment preferences the way you manage money uh, all of that comes comes with certain level of uh, bias and that bias gets into your head very early in your life um and uh for me personally i was brought up in a um uh, in a in a in a happy i had a very happy childhood uh, but now looking back I was brought up in a very uh, conservative society where uh, I was a privileged member of the society and I saw communal rights all around me at a very early age, which which clearly has left a lot of, um, I wouldn't say scars, but uh, memories. Um, but also I was, uh, I was uh, now looking back, I was brought, brought up by people who were quite forward thinking but I now looking back, I could see they had their own biases, biases again, uh, biases as well. So 
what I felt about this topic of um, uh, being um, privileged or gender bias or a lack of diversity or inclusion is that often we tend to look at it um, in a very binary sense, which is, okay, um, this section of the society are, um, are feeling superior, so they are bad, and this section of the society are being made victims, so you have to help them. I feel there is there's there's a lot of gray sh uh, shades of gray in the, in in the middle, and I and and I felt that it is not quite that that um, binary, and I just wanted to bring those things to the uh, uh, to the fore because then it makes us to have uh, helps us have uh, more empathy in the way we deal with it. I know there's a sense of urgency uh, to to fix some of these issues. Um, and 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 often we look at look at the corporate uh, boards. Uh, we look at uh, venture capital fund uh, funding and and technology firms not having enough diversity and say why what, why is that like that? But the problem I see is the society itself. You don't let women get past uh, childbirth and have a successful career after that. The society is set up against that. So to get, I mean giving birth to a child, bringing life to uh, earth is, is is perhaps the toughest job that anyone can do in life. And post that, you don't facilitate their way into a career. Society is still not thinking that way. I I didn't take a paternity off to, uh, to, to look after my kids. Um, my wife had to completely give up her career for that. And I hadn't even thought about it, to be honest. And that is one of the regrets I have in life. So I have I've been biased myself, as I, I as I um, admit to on 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 my post. So I think those are all the facts I felt, um, and I don't think I'm a bad person. So it's like uh, we really need to think about various ways we are biased, and consciously work towards fixing them, and be very open-minded. Be very open-minded to say, hey. Uh, I think I'm biased here. Can you help me identify where the bias is? I, I just, um, you know, I, I think that no one thinks they're bad, right? And, and to, you know, our, our listeners, I don't think Arun's in any way, shape, or form bad. Every once in a while, we have to uh, adjust his thinking, though. Um, but in this case, you know, I, I loved your post, and, and people should seek it out on LinkedIn and see how I responded, because I, I, I truly do think that... Uh, we need to evolve um, because bias creeps up on us in so many forms. And, you know, I, I, I get a lot of, of this. Oh, well, you, you lived in Berkeley, you know, for decades and it obviously, you know, impacted you. In fact, I got that from my mother a couple of weeks ago on, on an episode. I, I said some nice things about her, but this is the one thing that I always thought was so funny about her was that I mean, both of my parents, I think, um, came from the Midwest and the Midwest point of view is a little bit different than it was in Berkeley. And I will say that, you know, the experience of both living with um, a lot of people from a lot of countries and a lot of different parts of the world and a lot of parts of the United States, there's obvious bias in just about everywhere and just about every person. You have to fight to really think about what it is you're doing, why you're doing it. And, 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 and the, the hardest bias, I think, is, is in why you're not doing something why you aren't standing up for someone or something that you inherently kind of feel is wrong. And, and so that, you know, sort of the unintended biases or the unconscious biases that, you know, creep into our lives because, 
you know, you 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 have the excuse of growing up in a particular decade or particular place, and and that sometimes gives you excuses in your mind to say, oh, but you know, this is this is how it was when I grew up, or this is how it was in the area that I'm from. Um, but that you know, doesn't mean that in 2020 you could carry torches. Doesn't mean that you are okay with. 99% of people being able to breathe when some people can't. That's not hopeful. That's not something that we need to, you know, just gloss over. So when there are wrongs, they have to be righted. And they have to be righted with facts and discourse. And, you know, conversations that don't make things worse. So privilege is real. Privilege is indeed real. Um, we tried to address that actually the, the the past couple of weeks. It seems to be going more rampant um, than it had been. Um, why are there not more women? Or phrase it more positively. I'm looking at a room right now. How can we encourage having more women in in our ecosystem? Because God knows, find me one female founder who say there are. Um, we, we need more women. Of course, everyone say we need more women. Um, where can we find them? It's not because we don't have enough women around. How can we encourage and create more opportunities for more people to thrive? And I think this is, this is, this is a very complex and complicated question that I believe we're going to do it injustice by boiling it down for women versus men. Um, I am not a man hater, in case you're wondering. Um, I think the challenges that we see, especially in the U.S., is very different than in different parts of the world. For example, the United States is the only developed country that does not have paid family leave. Now, how is that, how is that important? It is important because if you think about the fact that if you're a woman, most of the times you are the one who is the sole caregiver and caretaker of your children or your parents. How would you find time or the energy to go start a company? For sure, it is very simple, quote unquote, you can go on the website and register your company, which is exactly what Brad and I did. But it's more than that, right? It's more than acquiring a website. It's more than creating a logo. You need to invest in the time and the energy to think about what you want to do time that you cannot afford to have when you're caring of, taking care of little children. You need to have the financial resources to back you up so that you can go with low revenue for a while. That in itself is a privilege, especially in the United States, when much of the employment is tied to health insurance. If you're not employed by a big company, you're on your own for health insurance. Now, I don't know about you, but from the last that I've been looking at the stats in our state economy, that's not something that a lot of people can afford. As a matter of fact, from what we've read, 40% of Black, Latino, and Native Americans have exhausted all of their savings. 40%. And now we wonder why we don't have more founders for minority communities. Not only just that, they do not have the connections to the network, 
a lot of those that go to Stanford or other elite universities, but also they just cannot afford. They just simply cannot afford. And same go with women. How many women have lost their jobs in the past few months because of COVID? How many of them have been asked to do trade-offs between taking care of their children versus working? How many women researchers have we lost because they simply cannot do both at the same time? And then beyond that, let's think about single parenting. Most of the single parents are women. That's a lot that we're asking for the demographics. I think what we need to be is to be more supportive instead of throwing rocks. We need to create more opportunities, outsized opportunities, to encourage them, to help them, to lift their voices, instead of blaming them for not leaning in, instead of blaming them for not doing enough, instead of blaming them for not having the guts or the courage or taking the risk, what they need to create a company, because it's so much harder to do when you have so much more at stake. And by the way, Jesse Draper, she wrote an amazing article on Medium. And if you haven't read it, I would encourage you to read it. It's called Investing in Women Isn't a <clears throat> Charity. I'm not going to say that word, but it is important. It is not a charity. Lifting up women is not a charity. It's just not only doing the right thing, but it's also smart from a business perspective. It is a $3 trillion opportunity. When, when we think about, you know, the, the progress of the 60s um, and the 70s when it comes to women's rights, especially in the U.S., I think that we sometimes marginally think that things have gotten better. And we don't see, you know, those steps that are taken backwards, whether it's from regulation, whether it's from a pandemic like this, where the majority of people that have been really impacted and, and been more forced to be unemployed to take care of children during this time, as children are now home and distance learning, we don't really see that sometimes what has been done to help women further along, not just in their careers, but their lives, with their choices, is something that is so quickly undone. And that's why, you know, I, I, I think that, that when, we, when we see moments in time where inequality continues to be something that we need to fight against, we need to realize that any type of inroads into progress can be quietly or quickly undone by the events that we're seeing now. And, you know, just like I, I had written to Arun in his great post, I said, we do not trim the branches of hate from the history of our shared roots without planting for a stronger spring. I would say that on this show, we have spoken to people that are funding women, people that are women founders, people that are supporting equality across gender, genders, we should say, in so many ways that are inspiring. But it's, it's, it almost feels like it's never enough. And it's, it's something that is very personal that we each have to have the ability to sort of look outside ourselves. And I think Arun had said that earlier about, you know, it's, it's this ongoing battle to think about, you know, what did I, what did I just do? What did I just say? How, how am I thinking about something and how am I not thinking about something to really attack bias in a systematic way personally in everything that we do? So just, you know, keep in mind that no matter how far we go, there's never going to be enough. And it's not not hopeful. 
to, to think that way. It's just a matter of being very, very much aware that this isn't a one and done event and it never will be. You don't fight for something to have it simply sit there and waft in the wind because <laughs> you're never going to get there unless you continue to be active and an active proponent of progress. One thing I would like to say here is change must come from within. And when, when that happens, you start at home. You start fixing things that are close to you, that you that are things that are under your control, and start expanding from there. Start inspiring people to do the same thing. Start changing the world little by little. And 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 I I personally think um, uh, there is change happening across the board. I mean, an hour ago I was having a conversation with a friend from city and uh, and he was saying that this there is now a, a, a gender um, or a diversity um, rule or metric that uh, they have set across the firm top to bottom where they have to show that they are hiring um, to a certain diversity metric uh, and that becomes part of your performance uh, or performance appraisal and that's the kind of systemic change that we need to see it's not. It can't be just at the corporate level. It has to be at the societal level. And uh, um, as 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 Theo mentioned, um, uh, forty percent uh, uh, reduction in savings for the black community is that the number you mentioned, Theo? Forty for zero. Yeah, uh, but what's been reported um, uh, quite widely um, is that savings have increased through the COVID period. Um, we we saw we I think the number in the UK uh, reported in June July times was about 16 billion. The typical monthly um, uh, deposits from households are 5 billion in the UK. So it went up by I mean almost three times. And it, people were like hailing it, saying yeah, it's it's actually people are well off, better off. Um, uh, but it's not the case. You double click into the number and you start seeing that inequality happen again. Um, and and uh, which means that the policies, policymakers are not doing enough. You've got to start having policymakers diversity at the policymaking level. So when when you when you're making these decisions, people say, okay, what about my community? Are they doing well? So there's got to be someone saying that. When they're not represented in the policy body, which is exactly what the New York Times article has pointed out. What they did, and I encourage our, re our listeners to, to go and look at it for yourself, it dissected the bodies with who are the congressional leaders, um, who are the decision makers in the top of companies, who are in the police departments. Basically, in our society, from media to regulatory, to policy making, to private sector, who are the people in charge? And if we want to think about a picture says a thousand words, that picture stuck with me. Of the top 20 most valuable companies in the United States of America, there were zero women. So think about that, right? As much as we keep saying, well, we need diversity metrics and we need reports, a lot of the reports will say that, well, we have 40% women, but dig deeper. You will find that a lot of them are in entry level. They're not in decision-making level. And someone will say, well, no, wait, we have X and X executives. Dig deeper 
and look at their titles, you'll see that most of them do not have PL. And you and I, we all know that to be in a position of power, you need to be in charge of the money. You cannot stick a woman in a CMO position and say, here you go, I have one diversity token person in there. And look at how the media has been reporting Jane Frace's appointment and countless other women leaders. They are labeled as female banker. They are labeled as first black executive, X and Y. You cannot do that. And so we can get past that. And so we can recognize women for their identity, for who they are and what they do, besides the color of their skin, besides their gender, we're not moving anywhere. And for whoever is listening, stop referring me to thought leader. I do have a name. Yes, uh, yes, you do. And that time that there was an article or something that might've just characterized your thoughts as being just from a thought leader, um, that guy was an ass. But anyway, um, it makes me think of this other article about the World Trade Organization and the, the headlines around, one of these two women will be the head of the World Trade Organization. And um, I think you know, one of them said the Nigerian and the Korean. <laughs> I just, um, and, and I'm really good at these names, but it's important that Yagozi Okanjo Aiwela and Yu Myung Hee are both recognized as human beings that are leaders in their field and have the ability to lead an organization as influential as the WTO when we're talking about trade fights between the US and China and other places. These are impactful positions. You know, it's, it's just like, you know, Christine Lagarde or others that are in impactful positions. We need more of this and we need this to be more normal, right? This cannot be a one and done, like you said, this cannot be a token representation. And, you know, I think about, I came from Santander, it was led by Anne Bettine um, when her father passed away. And I would tell you that that organization shifted its purpose, shifted its mindset, shifted its culture when Anna came in to take charge. Women change things for the better. And when our bias gets in the way or our uncomfortableness gets away from the fact that our diversity is a strength, our diversity across cultures and races and ages and gender is what drives us forward. So I've experienced that throughout my life and have learned lessons throughout my life about not just the importance of diversity inclusion, but about that privilege. And we all have to enable others so that privilege is no longer something that elevates one over another. And we look to Europe and we look to Nordic countries, especially like Finland and Sweden and Denmark and others, the Netherlands, for representation within government, much more equal by gender and for regulation that imposes on countries, sorry, companies, that there are more women on the board and more women in actual executive roles. So there's a lot more work to be done. There's a lot more thinking that needs to be done. And there are too many men writing too many stupid articles that are trying to take away the reality of the challenges that women have.
So I'll share a story this morning. Um, when I took my daughter to um, her wellness visit. And with that visit, they gave us a pamphlet of what to expect at this certain age. It took her five seconds before she reacted. She said, mommy, something is wrong with this paper. This is not for me. I'm like, what are you talking about? And she said, and I quote, this is what she read. She said, look at this. Encourage your child to resolve conflicts. Teach him to express feelings. And she said, why him? Why not her? Why not they? Why is it him? And think about the fact that she just turned eight years old. That was the first thing that she saw. And my first reaction was, oh, my God. I've been looking through these sheets every single year. We come into this office. I never noticed it. I never saw it. And we brought it up to her doctor when she came in. And I said, this is what my, my daughter saw when she picked this up. I had mixed emotions. I was really sad that that was the first thing she saw. But I was also hopeful. I was hopeful because if our little kids can see it, then maybe, perhaps, we will have a better future. Maybe not by November, maybe not in the next four years, but perhaps in 20 years if we don't destroy the planet. But maybe we can learn something from our kids. And by the same token, maybe we can learn something from our friends, from our neighbors, as long as we keep an open mind. As long as, like, Brad, what you say is just be open to it. And none of us is perfect. We're not perfect. I, for one, I know I'm not perfect. Far from it. I remember I used to judge people who, leave, who had to leave the office early because I felt like, why am I always the one staying behind and finishing these things? When these people are saying, oh, I have my kids' ball game, I have to leave. I remember feeling resentful. But then I have my kids. And then I realized, oh, wait a minute. This is different culture than the one I grew up in where we all had hope, where women are free to explore and pursue their careers because you have someone at home taking care of your children, taking care of the house, doing grocery, cleaning, cooking, and all of that things that I took for granted, that apparently it is a privilege to get help in here. And then I remembered and, and I understood, wow, this is a privilege. So I think a lot of what we see, what we experience has to do with our upbringing, has to do with our environment, and it's okay to not get it right. It's okay to keep learning because we're all learning. But it is not okay to throw insults at people if you're calling for respect, if you're calling for an open dialogue, at least respect the fact that you need to have a dialogue. Dialogue's a two-way. It's not a one-way throwing insults. And it is not okay to have a live webinar to talk about my post without even having the decency to ask me for my opinions before taking my stuff out of context. That is not okay. And that closes the conversation because respect is earned and you just lost it. Privilege is something that we need to recognize. It doesn't have to be a dirty word, but it is something that we need to acknowledge for those of us who have it. Own it and do something with it. So for that, thank you so much for listening in to another episode of One Vision.